Hello, welcome to What Theatre Means to Me. My name is Todd Dugan. I'm a musical theatre performer, producer and podcaster. And in this podcast, I chat to actors and creatives about their journey into the theatre industry, what theatre really means to them and their career highs and career lows. We're back. Apologies for the unannounced two-month break, but we're finally back with some more podcasts for you. And I couldn't think of a better way to kick it off with my lovely friend, Ankarad Griffiths, who graduated from Rose Bruford. We recorded this a couple of months ago and we had such a lovely chat. She gives some really, really amazing advice to anyone who is also a performer or looking to get into the industry. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Here is what theatre means to encourage Griffiths. Hello, welcome to What Theatre Means to Me. My name is Todd Dugan and I'm joined today with the lovely Ankarad Griffiths. Hello, Ankarad. Hello, Todd and everyone else. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thank you, my love. I'm very well. I'm ever so glad. Good, good. (laughs) So the first thing I want to ask you um, is, what's the first thing you remember seeing at the theatre when you were a kid? Mm. I mean, I'm inclined to say a pantomime because I am indeed British and I feel Classic. like that is, I don't want to say collective, collective trauma, but no, it's, it's good. It's, it's whatever that is, but good, Yeah. you know? <laughs> Just a collective experience. Yeah. Whole, like, yeah, but weirdly, I actually don't think, I think they've all blended into one, like every pantomime I've ever seen has become one like mega pantomime in my brain so maybe I don't properly remember that I just know that I did I think the first thing I remember properly properly like I actually remember the experience of watching it was the sound of music nice I came with my nine my grandmother to London to watch it um because I was a bit obsessed for a long time in my life when I was a child I thought I was religious because I wanted to be a nun (laughs) Because I wanted to be Maria von Trapp, yeah. and then um, my nine found me in the in the bathroom with some scissors, trying to cut off my hair into you know like just have it all gone. She was like, "Oh my goodness, what are you doing?" I was like, I'm "Cutting off my hair so I can be a nun yeah. like Maria von Trapp." She was like, "You don't have to do that. You can be an actor, and you can you can play you can that. play her." And I was like, "Excuse me, a hot sec." What do you mean? And that's when I knew that was a job. So um, she took me to see The Sound of Music. Oh. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I will be Connie Fisher. <laughs> Connie Fisher was also Welsh. So. I love that. I love yeah, that. We're was together. That the, so that was definitely the show that you're like, oh, yeah, I want to be an actor. This is... Yeah, always. I don't know why I was so obsessed with The Sound of Music. I just think it's, it's marvellous, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's, I only ever watch it now if I'm really, really ill. Or really, really sad. So, but it has to be like really extreme, or it loses its potency yeah. <laughs> as a film. It's like I have to be really, really, really down, or like really, really unwell because it's like it's like magic. It just makes me feel better. Yeah. I love it. It's just wonderful. Isn't I love it? it. I love it. Yeah, it's the film that introduced me to everything, and then the the stage show introduced me to everything. Yeah. It's like yeah, this is for me. Back. Never looked back. So from there, was it? Was there a point where you were like? 
um, I really want to start acting classes and dancing and singing lessons and things like that after seeing that? Or the was it... second I realised that that was a job, I just yeah. didn't realise that was a job that yeah. you could, you know, try to do yeah. with self-tapes and whatnot. And whatnot. Um, I just didn't realise it was a thing. And then the second it was a thing, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah. this will be my job. I was six. And I was like, I love that. I'm not doing anything else. Nice. My teachers was like, we're like, be a lawyer. I was like, oh, cute. If there is a play about lawyers, that would be great. They were like, no, you you should be a lawyer. I'm like, oh, yes, Legally Blonde, the musical is fun. Maybe I'll be in that. <laughs> and just, I, I would never have it. Would never, I never once considered anything else, yeah. which, you know, we, we won't assess as a decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good decision. I wouldn't be on this podcast. You wouldn't. On this podcast. On this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And I think, so So you started sing lesson, did you start, like, uh, did you go to, like, a Saturday school or that kind of thing, or did you? Um, well, there was, we, luckily, I'm from a really, really small town in North Wales where you wouldn't expect there to be anything, but because it is North Wales, there is a lot of opportunities yeah. for singing, not so much for kind of acting. But in my town, I'm from Llangollen, there is an internationalised Edvard, which is a big singing competition, big choir competition. People come in July from all over the world to compete in these competitions. Nice. Um, Pavarotti started That's his career there, funny. which is crazy. He like came one choir of the world when he was 16. was like, oh, maybe I'll do this as a career. I can clearly yeah. do it. And then in like the late 90s, he came back to do a big, big performance there and because I came from that town, there was so, so much opportunity for singing. There yeah. was like quite a lot of like, like drama youth groups, like musical theatre youth groups. So I just kind of, I didn't start singing lessons until I was in secondary school, but I just was always in a choir. I was yeah. always in like a musical, always in a show. I just, because I mean, the, the musical theatre group that I was in, like you could start when you were six. Oh really? That's and then nice. it went up until like 18, so they were like these huge productions. Yeah. It was great, That's it was so great. Nice. And then yeah, when I, I went to secondary school, I started singing lessons, I started um, opera, started stuff like that. Nice. And then, yeah. And then, you know, from singing, it kind of, that's what took me on to acting and all of this other stuff, but it kind of, it always just goes home to there. Yeah. Started that's from nice. there. Nice. Yeah. So in that sort of in that youth group and the choirs and stuff, did you do what was the first kind of production that you did when you were that age? Oh, um, when I was really little, we did Annie. Lovely. Which I mean, you have to. Yeah, it's a rite of passage. You have yeah, to I'm I'm point. teaching kids now, and I am teaching them Annie. <laughs> like you do not. You, it's so hard to be a child doing musicals and not do Annie at not some point. It's like, I remember though, the, <laughs> I remember them losing the wig and they had to like rat up Annie's hair with a back comb and then spray paint it orange. It was horrific. I bet. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the first thing I did with them and it was, it was great. It was great, but oh my goodness. It was so that funny. That poor girl. That poor girl. Poor, poor, poor girl. And it was just like, I just remember backcombing. That is my main memory. It's just far too much backcombing. And the head of a lot of hairspray. Oh, yeah. And I felt like, I felt amazing. 
while I was in it, I was like, I remember like, <laughs> remember being in, in school with my script, just like, oh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just reading my script. Like, as if I'd just been casting Billy Elliot on the West End. I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm just, um, I don't, don't know, mind you know, me, I'm, I, I'm actually July in Annie. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I can't talk reading my script. <laughs> Ridiculous. I was very much that child. Yeah. Constantly though, I mean, I did that before. Even when I wasn't in a show, I'd be like, "Sorry, I'm just, I'm just learning the song from Wicked. Can you just excuse don't me for a second? Me. I don't need maths. I... I was literally walking around like, "Don't be offended by my frank analysis," and people were like, "Excuse me." I was like, "Oh, don't worry, I'm just learning a song." <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Yeah, I was, I, I was, that. I was really embarrassing. How I didn't get bullied, which is a shock. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really, I'm like super lucky I had older cousins that went to the same so school. school. I think that's why I was allowed to continue being weird. I just grew up weird because nobody ever stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if my cousins are listening, thank you for that. This is for you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, uh, oh, God. So then after um, secondary school and going through that, you mm. then went to drama school and stuff so how was how was that kind of transition from doing it as sort of a hobby and then thinking of it in terms of a like a career path did it was it i mean for me it actually wasn't that it was weird it was obviously a huge step but it kind of also wasn't i started oh gosh i uh, started planning my drama school speeches when i was in in year seven like I remember starting secondary school, I was like, okay, it's time to start to prepare now. Yeah, I've got five, six years to- Yeah, 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 yeah. to really hone these speeches in. Yeah. And then obviously that was useless time, but like, <laughs> I always knew what I was gonna, I actually remember the moment I realized that drama school was a thing. And you know, my family are not theatery in any way, shape or form. Um, not quite sure how I fell into theatre. It just kind of happened. I think it was just always what I was meant to do. I was yeah. a bit hyper. I was a bit loud, and I just, it just happened. Yeah. Um, but I remember, like, I never thought anybody took me seriously because I was also really academic in school. I think people thought she'll grow out of it. She will go on to, you know, like my in college when I did A levels, my teachers wanted me to go to Cambridge and do this and they were like, what would you do? I was like, well, I'd probably be like a reporter, but I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna be an actor. Everybody's like, okay, okay, sure. I remember being in secondary school and like the first time anybody ever believed in me was, well, I suppose they believed in me, but like my tider, my granddad is was like this big, hard Welsh man, very stoic, very kind of like, get out of my space kind of thing um he was he was brilliant he was a brilliant guy but i remember coming in one day into their house and he was like come here i was like oh gosh okay hello um and he printed he'd been to the library and he printed out pages and pages about all of these drama schools he's like this is this place is called rada this place is called lambda this place is called rose bruford this place this is one of the places that you need to go to if you want to do what you and he'd done all of this research and oh, just wow. printed it all off just this a very typical kind of small town, really hard Welsh man that I would it would be the last person I would think would have done this. And he yeah. was I remember thinking, oh, wow, somebody actually believes me. And that, that was really early on. So as soon as like all that happened, I was like, OK, he believes me. I'm going to do it. I'm yeah. going to do it now. And I always just kind of prepared and prepared and prepared for that. And then 
you know, I did all of my A-levels, stuff like that, did think, do I maybe want to go to a uni? Um, decided no, absolutely not. Um, I did very badly my first year of auditions. For I only auditioned for three places and I was overwhelmed and I was not ready. Um, it, is, it is a really daunting experience. It's a lot it's and a I lot. made bad mistakes with my speeches. Me too. I, my first, oh gosh, my first, so my first audition was for Central and my first one I ever did and then I, I had the flu <laughs> so and then I sang for it um maybe I like it this way nice. from the wild party yeah. which I thought oh that's a bit that's a bit niche of me yeah. off we go well done um and somebody else was singing it in my group and I was like excuse you what and I'd lost my voice so she you know she was good she was fine but do you know what I, it's like I smashed this song and it's come out as it was literally like that. It was horrific. No. I did not get in. Um, my second audition was for RADA and I was TMI. I was, you know, young. I was a virgin and I did a speech from Fleabag about anal sex. It went badly. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm going to be daring. And yeah, it was daring and it was a choice. But like, I do not know if it was in my wheelhouse <laughs> as a, a terrified little musical theatre 17 year old in RADA so yeah and then I um so after I didn't get in I got into some unis was like no actually I, that's not what I want um I did a year of BTEC did musical theatre and it was kind of like the pressure was off it was just like vocational training that I was like you know, actually, this is quite chill. Like, I can pass, I can not pass, but I want this training. Yeah. Cool, I've already got, I've done well on my A-levels. Like, I've got the qualifications. And I think just having that, it was almost like a really chilled out foundation year that was free. <laughs> yeah. Because the college I went to was really, really good. You know, I did some dance, I did singing, stuff like that. And I think having that space to keep on performing and keep on learning, but without that, insane stress yeah. really helped me kind of prepare for drama school so when I did go it was like I kind of I kind of feel like I've gotten a little bit of a taste of it that's really nice but minus the stress so I had a bit of like whew, breathing time yeah there's a gap here for poor people you know yeah. you just do another college just course, another college course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah foundation when you can't afford it just go back to college, college yeah. honestly it was so good it that's was such really a great good. year so yeah, the transition obviously when you get to drama school is a lot. It's, yeah. But I feel like it was all in the back of my mind. I was always, I was kind of knew what I was in for. Yeah. And it's one of those things like I know, I, I, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew there would be times that I would struggle. So when there were times that I was struggling, I was like, okay, yeah, this is a lot. I didn't expect it to be in this way, but like it's not really a shock. And I came prepared yeah. for this. Yeah. And yeah, I'll get through it. That's and then I did. Yeah. Now I've got a degree, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's so nice. How did you find moving out of out of North Wales? Horrific. I yeah, I struggled. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it is a tiny town. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, and I always wanted to leave it, and I don't regret that because there is nothing there. So when I go back, it's beautiful, and I love it. And it there's so much there for a lot of people, but for particularly with what I want to do, it's just there aren't opportunities for me but I love going back there I love being surrounded by this culture of music and 
and these lovely hills. But yeah, I don't regret leaving. But London was a big jump. It's a big jump. I feel like I was lucky in that I went to Rose Bruford, so it's in Sidcup. So it's kind of like, it's that weird intersection of London Borough, but the county of Kent. So it's yeah. like, depending on who you ask, it either is or isn't in London. Like, nobody knows. Yeah. <sighs> is what it is. But it was a little bit more out of the way. It was a bit quieter. So I feel like it was, it was kind of, instead of like... In, you know, if I'd moved into like central London, I would have been like, oh my God, like what's happening? But I feel like moving there, it was a nice little stepping stone so that when I left, I could go more into central London yeah. and it was like I was eased in. So I feel lucky with that. That's good. But the water is horrific. The water is terrible. <sighs> I'm still, I've been in London five years and I'm still going. It's because you're not meant to get used to it. Yeah. Because it's bad. It's bad. Never get used to something bad. No. And you go home, I go home, a similar sort of thing to you, a little, mm. kind of little village in the Midlands. Mm. And I go home and I... I With I, your eight yeah. water bottles. Yeah. My, my, <laughs> Ready to go to of, see you through for a little bit of a while. My, Maybe I'll start like getting big bottles of it and using it like squash. Like a pour idea. a bit of Welsh water and then top it up with top London it, water. Yeah. Just so I know it's in there. Yeah. Just so I trick myself a my, bit. my friend from uni genuinely did that because he was like, Scottish water's the best. And it would literally come back Ooh, yeah. with like big, big bottles mm. of water. And then come into college one day with like a big sort of three litre bottle of water. And I was like, have you got such a big bottle of water? And he was like, it's Scottish water. <laughs> I remember saying to a friend who um, was from round here, how good Welsh water is. And she was like, you're just saying that because like you're homesick and you like it and that's fine. I was like, that is actually quite sound reasoning, but you're wrong. <laughs> With all due respect, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, and I brought, <laughs> I brought water back. I was like, I brought this for you. She's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. What brand is this? I was like, my tap. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Loser, enjoy your amazing water. Goodbye. <laughs> it was great. I love that. It's one of my biggest wins to date. That's good. I will never let it go. Mm. It was three years ago. <laughs> it keeps me going every day. That's so funny. I love that. <laughs> the great oh, water battle great... of 2019. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's so funny. Youth. The youth, honestly. <laughs> what do they know? Yeah. They've never known any different, that's thing. Exactly. And then they've just been enlightened. But maybe I've it. ruined her life because she knows what water could be now. Yeah. She just... She's probably moved to Wales now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she ever does move to Wales, I'll assume that's why. Yeah. For the water. That's for why. The water. That is why I would move back. Quite frankly, it makes my hair nicer and everything. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it's just my mum's shampoo that I steal when I'm there. <laughs> don't know. But I like to think it's the water. Water. Not that more expensive shampoo than I I buy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So after were you at Bruford for three years? Three years. Three years. So after Bruford, what um since sort of graduating and being in the industry and sort of <laughs> grafting like we all, all mm. do what are sort of your current career highs and your current career like lows almost mm. feel free if you, yeah, you don't have to say too much in interesting interesting I suppose it is one of those things like I, I don't know I feel like my career is very interesting at the moment because it's exactly what I expected it to be. When I kind of think, oh my goodness, like sometimes there's nothing like, 
I mean, sometimes it is the case of you don't even hear from your agent for two months and then yeah. it's like, let's do eight self-tapes this week, five recalls. Can you also do a voiceover and here's a job that you didn't even have to audition for? Have a nice week. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, this industry is so fickle. It's so strange. And it is one of those things, like drama school, I feel like I was incredibly prepared for this. Yeah. And <laughs> if you would have asked me, what do you think, like, your first year, especially, out of drama school will look like? I was like, mm. probably be, like, auditioning for a few things, trying to make it work, just trying to get out of there. But realistically, I'm probably going to be, like, grafting as a barista and just blah, 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 blah. And, yeah, no, that's fine. That's, like, that's part of it. That's, like, the graft. Yeah. That's, like, me paying my dues. And I think about that sometimes and I'm like, my life is actually exactly where I thought it was going to be. If not, actually, I'm probably doing better than I thought. So I yeah. can't really complain. But I think we glamorise paying your dues a little bit much. Me because too. when you are grafting, doing all of this other stuff, it's really hard to actually do your own career and work with that. But um, I think my, my high would be maybe when I started teaching. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, there's, there's there are jobs that come and go, there are auditions that come and go, there are... You know, like I've had acting work, I've had voiceover work, I've had singing work, and it's all been amazing. But I think when I've started, because te teaching children theatre, when I've started trying to kind of like find a way to incorporate theatre into my everyday, because, gosh, I know people that have won awards for films and, you know, are getting really steady work as an actor and are really like really successful and you know they still work as baristas they still work in cafes they still work in shops and it's hard to make it something that you do every day it's like you have to be working a lot to make it in every day and I think starting to get to the point that even if it's not like I'm acting every day or I'm singing every day I am doing something in my own industry pretty much every day now yeah I think when that started to become a thing that was my high in a way that I never quite expected it to be. And it also, you know, keeping your, like, toe in the pool. I don't know what that phrase is. Keeping you, I don't know, keeping know, know keeping something yeah. in something keeping else. Keeping it all afloat. Yeah. And, just keep it, yeah. and just keeping, like, keeping your foot in the door. That's keeping, like, yeah. your creative muscles flex. It helps to do everything else. Yeah. Because you're always kind of doing it. Career low. I don't know if I can think of a career low. I don't think there's... Oh, it, this, it, there is always a thing, do you know, when like you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name the specific, but there yeah. is a specific thing. There was a part that I thought I'm perfect for this. Yeah. It was like from specifically my area, specifically my vocal range, exactly everything that I'm perfect for. And I didn't actually get an email back about it. And I was like, oh my God, if I can't get seen for this, I shouldn't be in the industry. I realised after, like, from seeing the part get cast, stuff like that, that they weren't actually, where they said it was open to kind of any gender, this and that, it was actually, they were only looking for boys. Really? The part had already been cast, they were just looking just to see who was out there. So they actually, when this casting came out, it was like, weren't actually looking for anybody. It was just, yeah, just to see. And me and a few people that were also kind of same casting as me kind of went all went into spirals about it, like oh my god, we shouldn't be in this industry. If I can't even get an email back about this part, I don't know how I'm ever going to get seen for anything else. And I think that, like, obviously, we'd gotten the wrong end of the stick, but that was quite a low point. It kind of introduced me to how maybe underhand this industry could be. It can be quite conniving sometimes, can't it? You, like, yeah. 
and sometimes they've kind of put auditions on. Mm-hmm. They've already cast, like you say, sometimes they've already cast it and they just go, they're trying to keep up appearances. And, yeah, and, and sometimes go, it's publicity yeah. as well, just keep the interest. Especially, I found a lot of this after COVID. Yeah. Are like things that maybe were meant to go on before that have already been publicised, already been announced. Like It's little things like this they do just to be like, oh yeah, this is happening again. Yeah. That was a low point. That was a low, low point. Because like, obviously... If it was, I just hadn't been emailed about that. That would have been a low point anyway, because yeah. I would have been like, how on earth have I not qualified to be seen for this? But it was actually, it's weirdly worse because I don't know, sometimes you forget, because the industry is so hard anyway, day to day, you forget how hard it is behind the scenes and how sometimes things do work against you. Yeah. But you know, we're here. We're here. It's still fun. It's still nice. But yeah, I think weirdly, that being a low point, low point is true, but I think it was really useful because yeah, I mean absolutely. we can pretend that everything's sunshine and daisies, but if you know what you're up against, then it's easier to deal with it. Yeah. And if it if these things do happen again, you at least know and you're ready yeah. and you're prepared. And those low moments, you absolutely learn from those low mm. moments, and you you take so much from those, and you go, you know what, I to feel like this again at some point and that's yeah and that's okay because that's part of the industry you, you have peaks and troughs and then you? you know you can learn how to you how have to, deal to really really ways. deal with what the system yeah. is to learn how to use it and work yeah, within it you do and then once you kind of learn that you can start to kind of play it its, its own game its own a little game. bit yeah i'm not there yet <laughs> <laughs> i need to i think i need me neither i need me more neither. experiences good or it. bad more, I think more or medium, ex- more exposure, more auditions, mm. more. I think it's just co- it all comes with practice, isn't it? I think this more. Is, this is the thing that I found surprising actually when I left drama school. The more auditions thing is, it's hard to get in the room. It's really hard to get. Like in the room. you know, you see. I think it's again like the kind of paying your dues stuff like that is glamorized when you see it in the media, in films, and you know novels whatever you it's really it makes it seem like you are in far more rooms than you are and it's like i think of you know like the last five years there's the song where she's like i'm up every morning at six and it's like she's like oh i have an audition every day at six there's all of these open casting calls like i don't have an agent but like all of these open casting calls i'm just always at like no you know you're not (laughs) first of all you wouldn't be able to because uh you have to work stupid shifts yeah. Because if you have a job that has flexibility, the shifts are always ridiculous. Um, you give and take some. Yeah. But also, do they exist in New York and they just don't exist I in don't London? Know. Am I confused? Yeah. I don't think they do. And I, then, like, there like is the all... open casting call thing. Like, I mean, there, there's been one recently and it was Mamma Mia and people couldn't even get in, you it know? Queues the whole <laughs> through Covent Garden. It yeah. Was, I had a few friends that were in those queues and I was like, I had one friend that got to the front and then was told, oh no, thanks very much, bye. You know what? People talk about the queue for the yeah. Queen. Like, have they seen the Mamma Mia queue? It's, it's, it was crazy. It's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> oh. It was mental. Maybe it's not that way in America, though, because they don't enjoy queuing as much as we do. That's so true. We love, we love a queue. I wouldn't go for the audition. I would just like to be involved in the queue. In the queue, for the yeah. atmosphere of the queue. Yeah, just yeah. to see, you know... Oh, are we doing it single file or are we doing clusters of people? It's <laughs> <laughs> it's what we live for. It's what we live for. If you're not British and you are listening, then the stereotypes are true. We love a queue. Oh, yeah. Get me in that queue. 
<laughs> Shall we form one now? Let's form a queue. Okay, let's do the rest of the, the podcast just in a line. In a line. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Won't look at each other, though. No. One behind the other. Proper queue. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, funny. Gosh. No, it is, it's really... Yeah, it feels like a really <laughs> unrealistic portrayal, doesn't it, in some ways. Because yeah. you go... There's... There'll be weeks where you're just doing your, I say this term quite a lot, your muggle job. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be weeks where you're just doing that and you're grafting, you're doing 40 hours a week yeah. at your muggle job. You're doing a little bit of singing, a couple of dance classes on the side, that kind of thing. Mm. Could be weeks, months like that. And then you maybe two, three months later, you might get a self-tape through. And sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes it might be the thing that might not be right for you, and you, you then, I've I've got good at it, but I'm getting better at turning things down. If yeah, I'm they're not right for me. Especially if you're going to go through all of that, it's so much effort yeah. to do it, and it can't. You always feel guilty for turning down these opportunities, but it's also the same with work. Like, you can get offered work, and you if you always feel really guilty turning it down but sometimes it's just not something that you can do or that you're right for or that you feel comfortable doing like I know a lot of people well I say a lot but I know some people kind of who have been offered jobs you know doing nudity or doing these crazy tour schedules and stuff and for some people absolutely fine but if it doesn't suit you it doesn't suit you yeah and there's always this huge guilt and pressure to take it but I mean I think Something that was really helpful to me is when I kind of switched my thinking on opportunities and it's like, yes, okay, thank you so much for offering me a job. But at the end of the day, I am a professional that's being hired because you need me to do a job. Like, I think they need need you as much as you need. Yeah. Like, thank you for wanting me to do this job, but also you chosen me to do this job because I am the best for it and you want me to do it. So I think like, we need to kind of balance the scales on our thinking yeah. and not be like, sometimes I, I do it. I feel like I see a part, I get offered something. I'm like a, I'm like a hungry puppy. I'm like, yes, 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 yeah. yes. yes. Give, give me that. But then you don't really think it through. Like, is this actually doable? Does it work? Is it going to kill me? Is this what I want kind of thing? You just yeah. feel like you have to take everything. I feel like it's, it's this way with a lot of things like, the the struggle of looking for an agent is always the same. It's like, I really, really want to have you as my agent, but it's it's a collaboration. Like, you work together. It's not like, okay, you want me, you want me, you want to represent me, I'll do anything you say. It's like, okay, no, let's, let's work with this together because yeah. you're doing a job for me yeah. and I'm doing a job for you. I, I think when you start to kind of level it out and start thinking a little bit more weirdly because we do, we do our jobs and we are creative people but i think behind the scenes personally i'm trying to reframe my thinking to be a bit more like a businesswoman yeah and be a little bit more analytical in how i see things and then that also helps me and i think to be honest it's helped me get more work and helped me get seen more because I feel more like a professional and I know I come across more like a professional since doing that. It's okay. This is what I can offer you. What can you offer me? Oh, that sounds good. Okay, cool. And it's, you forge this kind of into a relationship where you're not, you're not kind of letting things spiral out of control because you are too hungry. You have to learn how to kind of 
Rain it in, don't Rain you? Rain it in. Yeah. And not get rid of that energy, but maybe channel it in the right places. And I think having... I was chatting about this with another friend on this podcast, mm. this idea of keeping your separate, your other life separate. So your, yeah. your sort of your friendships and your family and prioritising that as well as your career mm. and being happy with your job and all of those things outside of that. So then when the audition come, does come up, you're not, like you say, bouncing at it and desperate for it because yeah. you're like, you know what, I'm in, a, I'm in a good place, I'm happy with my job, I've got a really nice friends, really nice life. Mm. And then when you, then you relax in the audition and half the time you get, yeah. you, you book the job because you've But you relaxed. also, if you don't book the job, it's kind of like, you take it less personally because it's like you know what I, I actually wasn't right and I don't want to compromise what I was going to do with that part so this if you hire me this is vaguely how I'll pay, play the part maybe that you don't want that maybe yeah. that's not what you as a director are looking for absolutely fine absolutely fine yeah but I'm not gonna be like I'll be whatever you want me to be because I, I kind of can't yeah like if what I fundamentally am going to be bringing to this is just something about it that you don't you're not on board with absolutely fine yeah there will be something that requires it at some point it's good you know what the thing about hobbies is really difficult isn't it and like about keeping that life separate because the reason we're all in this industry is because this was our hobby and i forgot to forge new ones so people (laughs) ask me what do you do for a living oh I'm i'm a singer i'm an actor oh what do you do for fun um I sing and I act. What else? Uh, that's it. And what? people are like, oh, does that? Does do you get pleasure out of that? I'm like, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, of course I do. I love what I do. Sometimes it is exhausting. Sometimes, yeah. like, I am forcing myself to get that song out. Or, and you know, you you are falling back on your technique. And I'm like, I think I need to make some new hobbies. Yeah. I think I need to do more things. I, think I just don't really think important. I can be bothered. Yeah. I just I'm, don't think I, I want the, to. I'm exactly the same. I. I'm sort of singing or acting or whatever, yeah. and then or I'm I'm going to the theatre and I'm like, oh, that's kind of tied in with it, isn't it? And then yeah, those are kind of and cinema. I think that's kind of tied in with. It's all kind of feels really entertainment yeah. based. Yeah, like? I'm, I'm trying to like split up when I'm singing, singing especially when I'm like singing for fun and singing for work. But I can't, I can't draw the line because I'll start singing. I'll be like singing to myself. No, maybe, maybe I'll actually put some effort into this singing. Maybe I'll stand up and I'll really sing the song. Oh, that technique was bad. Do it again. Do it again. And then it just suddenly falls into like a training session with myself. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know how to draw the line. I did this about two hours ago in the kitchen. Washing <laughs> up. Was washing up and was singing something which would never we were chatting about this the other day yeah. never, something with, that would never be in my rep but I was like you know what let's try it and then I was going no do it again do it again mm. and you, you kind of bully yourself to go and I'm like I'm just singing washing up why am I getting, giving myself some pressure yeah. doing this it's so hard no one can isn't hear it? me why am I doing this it is important to try and draw the line though somewhere yeah. like I don't know I, I've gone back into reading which yeah. again it sometimes spirals a little bit and I'm like oh how would I do how would I direct this? How would I turn this into a musical? How would I write this into a play? Ah, um, how would I play that character? But like, it's a little bit less pressure because it yeah. is more kind of theoretical when it, that's happening. I'm not going to turn every book I ever read into a play kind of thing. Yeah. So that's really been helpful. Because some of them don't, a lot of them don't really lend themselves to that really. But, yeah. Um, I remember having 
so in my third year of drama school, we were really, really lucky that we had these amazing professional preparation sessions. Yeah. Um, shout out Sam Dunstan. Hello. Um, <laughs> he gave the sessions. <laughs> he, like, and they were amazing. They were really, really amazing. A lot of what was said harrowed me to to my core and yeah. to my soul. Um, but we, one of the most useful things that we were learning about, like, you know, we were taught how to kind of butter people up and get funding and stuff like that. It was great. And they were really lighthearted for sessions that you're talking about taxes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But... I remember Sam was talking about working with people you know and with your friends and like a lot of, I, I mean, I met a lot of people in drama school that are writing and making their own work and kind of a lot of creatives who I've gone on to work with professionally, but drawing the line there, especially when it's not just that you know each other, when you actually are friends, it's so important. This is one of the things that he was telling us about, like even if you are friends with somebody, if they're your best friend, treat each other differently when you're working yeah because kind of we do have these pro like professional personas that we have to put on and he said you should always relate to each other with those professional personas you should always especially like more so than any other time when you were working with friends when you were working with kind of these people that you've networked with contracts everything written down because you don't want to kind of fall into the hole of Oh, well, you're my friend, you know, I'll let you do that. And then your wires get crossed because you're friend friendly. You don't want to kind of ruin the friendship. You don't want to ruin the connection. You kind of let things slip and then things snowball. And I remember thinking, oh, that is something that I'd never even considered no. in this industry. Like, and so much work that I've gotten has been with friends. And like, sometimes you do work as a favor to a friend, like I've done voiceovers for friends, yeah. stuff like that. But it's still like, okay. If this play goes on, if this happens, if this happens, what happens to me? Like, you have to just... I mean, I call it out now. It's just easier, just like, okay, professional mode, let's do a negotiation kind of yeah. thing. That was one of the most useful things I learned in drama school about kind of, like, drawing the line. That's really interesting because, yeah, you don't, yeah. Want, to, you don't want to jeopardise your friendship in any way, but also you need... It's, like you say, it's a, a business and you've got to look after yeah. your how you're being treated and money and that kind of thing and all of that. Yeah, and all it's, of those it's kind of things. like you are a business, they are a business and this business might have good relations, but it's like, you know, even if they go well together, whatever, it's like a merger. Yeah. If you're working yeah, together, yeah. you both have to be protected. And it's just, that was kind of maybe the first time I really thought about the border between like professional and personal life. Right. Because I mean, this is, it's an industry of emotion like it's so hard not to get emotionally involved in things yeah. so i think actually you have to have a part of you that does become quite cold and analytical because it protects you and protects everybody if you yeah. have that side of you deal with everything then the part of you that gets overexcited and is so keen and ready to work and ready to do this i'll do this and this and this you've got something to kind of fall back on and to yeah. say okay what do we do in this case it doesn't get awkward yeah i think that's important i don't uh, know how i got onto that no great no <laughs> neither do i but i think that's really important i really yeah I've, I've never thought of it like that but that's really yeah that's really interesting i love that sam dunstan slay <laughs>
We're going to get messages now from Sam Dunstan. Like, thanks for the shout out. I don't remember the paperwork coming through for me to be talked about on this <laughs> podcast. No, he was a good lad. He was a good, good lad. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> so, I've got I've only got like two questions left. Oh, um, I know, we're almost finished. Oh my God. Sad. Um, my next question is, as a performer in the industry grafting, have you mm. got any pearls of wisdom, any advice for people getting into, maybe people are getting into the industry, maybe people are just about to graduate, maybe people are in the industry. Oh my God, I don't know if I've got any pebbles of wisdom, never mind pearls. Pebbles of wisdom. (laughs) Um, Um, I think think a lot of what I've touched on before, kind of, I'm very excitable as a person, as you can probably tell on this podcast, Um, although I do blame you slightly for giving me coffee. Uh, <laughs> you also slightly blame the ADHD. I blame everything, but it's all a, it's ri- it's a rich tapestry. I'm happy to take the blame for you. That's fine. <laughs> I will take that. Um, but I think, yeah, kind of putting that side of yourself that you can be, for lack of a better word, cold. Yeah. Because, I mean, we are, by our very nature, I've rarely met an actor who isn't overly empathetic and emotional and gets overexcited. You need the business part of yourself yeah. because so much of what we do is business and marketing and how to sell yourself and how to construct yourself in this way and it's really hard to do that with that emotional side of yourself just letting yourself be a business person that would be my biggest pearl yeah. of wisdom i think because it's so easy to get stuck when you don't do that yeah but also um don't stop also if you want to stop that is also okay i think stop beating yourself up for things because there is so much that's out of your control everything that feels like it's in your control isn't yeah. and everything that feels like it isn't in your control isn't yeah. <laughs> like, yeah just stop beating yourself up and if you want to leave the industry also don't beat yourself up for that if you want yeah. to change your career slightly if you want to say actually i don't want to act i want to direct i want to write i want to teach I want to, you know, open a coffee shop. I want to do do whatever you want because yeah. I think also, especially when you've trained um, and you've spent all of that time working to get into drama school and you've gone through drama school and it was a lot and you did 14-hour days and then all of a sudden you're like, do I even love this industry anymore? If you don't, that's fine. That is completely that's fine. absolutely yeah. fine. And the skills that you've learned are still transferable. You know, um, like there's somebody I haven't, I was told the story actually about somebody that did my course in drama school works as a wedding planner because they use all of that skill, all of those skills, all of that like direction, That's creative, yeah. everything. It's so, it's such, I mean, they are such core skills they that are. you can use for so many things. So just don't beat yourself up. And like, also don't, I, everybody says this, don't compare yourself to other people because some people are right for a part that has, is available now yeah some people kind of grow into it as well like some people are probably going to be perfect for roles when they're a little bit older maybe they've got that maturity that they don't really want for the ingenue parts stuff like that so just let yourself kind of be taken by the journey yeah but then also have the business person to watch you when you're taken by the journey like it's like having two little people like an angel and devil on your shoulders almost isn't it you've got your business person and you've got your emotional passionate performer person and you've got to 
listen yeah. to them both at different points. Kind of feel like it's absolutely fine to let yourself get lost in rapids as yeah. long as you know that they're that you are close enough to the edge that you can be pulled out. Yeah. If you need to be. Yeah. If you know that you've got that safety, then you'll let yourself be carried away further. It's like going to the zoo. It's like kind of I would be go nowhere near a hyena in real life, but if I know that at least there's glass there, I can get closer to it. I can let myself get a bit more carried away. Yeah. So that was a weird metaphor. I like it. I, I like it. Yeah. Full of, Zeus. Full of lovely metaphors. <laughs> I love Zeus. It is my way. <laughs> it is who I am. That's so funny. Um, that's really lovely advice. Thank you for that. Oh, thanks. Um, and my, so my final question is the name of this podcast, really. What does theatre mean to you? Stress. <laughs> there wasn't even a pause there, it was stress. I'm joking, I am, probably, in a way. In a way. Um, kind, of, kind of joking. Uh, <laughs> theatre, to me, um, means the joy of ephemerality. It's, um, it's the reason that I think a lot of people choose theatre over film, even though it does not pay well. Um, no, it does not. <laughs> and to go and see it, it is a lot more expensive. Basically, financially horrific decision on every end of the spectrum, mm. but we keep on doing it. It's been dying since it was invented. Like the second Aeschylus wrote that first play, theatre started to die and still 2000 years later, it will not, and I highly doubt it ever will. And I think that is because it gives you something that no other art form gives you, which is this insane ephemerality. And okay, this this play might run for 500 performances, but it will never be the same play. In a world that is increasingly technological and we have so much, we are so close to each other in theory, but as people, people are so distant. You actually can experience things on a human level all together have this collective experience that nobody else will ever be able to replicate or understand. Try as they might every performance for 500 nights, they will never replicate it and they will never recreate that. And I think, yeah, we might all, you know, exist in the metaverse in a couple of years. We still won't be able to recreate what theatre is. We would still have to sign out, go and sit in a building and experience something together. Yeah. And that's what theatre is. And that is why it won't die. And I think the closer it gets to death, the more alive it will continue to be. Yeah. Because the closer it gets to dying, the more we will need it and the more we will cling to that incredibly, incredibly human experience. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think that whole... Like you say, you could be in a show that runs for 500 performances. Mm. Even in that show, every performance will be different because of the audience's reaction and, yeah. and some nights you go I'm going to just try something a little different and just see what happens but and e ev even if you're not making a conscious decision to no, try something a little differently will, will say, I'm, different. say I'm Juliet and I'm in the balcony scene with Romeo and I'm oh oh Romeo you're here ah oh, hooray ah oh, you're excellent I love you etc maybe one maybe the way i've decided to play it is i am going to be that ingenue i'm going to be incredibly excited just pure unadulterated joy yeah. maybe on the next show day i ate some bad tacos and i've got a really bad stomach yeah. ache okay yeah i'm still going to be kind of doing the same thing but i have to kind of play what's there i can't really hide that i'm uncomfortable maybe that slightly changes how i yeah, react absolutely. to romeo i'm like oh i'm really excited you're here but 
oh, you might die, and I'm a little bit more anxious, and maybe it's not something I've chosen to do consciously, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not Juliet. I am Angharid, and I have eaten a taco. And that then affects Romeo, and affects the audience, and something is always different about the day. We don't live yeah. in Groundhog Day, unless, you know, that's the musical that you're in, in which case you probably do. <laughs> But there will always be something that changes it yeah. and changes you and this changes the play, changes the experience. There are infinite variables. Yeah. And even if something is somehow exactly the same, the other variables won't be. Yeah. And every... You could be an audience member seeing mm. that same show 50 times, but every single time you go, you'll notice something completely... Something, yeah. There'll be something different. You could love a show for certain things which are consistent but every time you go there'll be another bit of beauty another bit of yeah. something that you've found in it and you go wow which i suppose yeah. on a level is the same with film yeah you know it will always be there will always be this kind of the experience will always have this ephemerality because the spectator the spectator's journey every time they see it will always change but the art form will remain exactly the same i think yeah. theater is the only thing I don't know, actually, maybe, I suppose you could kind of do visual art because paint changes, whatever, but that's over like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Theatre constantly just evolves every time it is displayed. Yeah. For the audience and for the art, the actual art changes. And I love that. Yeah. And, it and you can't help it. it and the more yeah. you try and fight it changing, the more it will change. Will change. And it evolves to suits the modern life every time like it, it, mm. it adapts in such a way to make it more current and make yeah. it and it's, it's some of the stuff that's coming out at the moment it's just really exciting oh yeah it's just really is some of the stuff's really weird as well and really i love that absolutely mental i like yeah i like a bit of weird yeah yeah <laughs> lean into the weird always lean into the weird i saw a play once um and i credit where it's due i was absolutely hanging um, <laughs> and it was in Camden People's Theatre and I was in the front row for some reason and this woman started throwing cardboard boxes at my head that's that an anecdote I, I did that. not enjoy no I did I not enjoy didn't. but it was weird and it was an experience and I do remember it well yeah you'll never forget someone throwing a cardboard box at your head woe is me <laughs> and on that <laughs> <laughs> And Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've been a lovely guest. Uh, we'll probably stop the record now, but continue chatting. I absolutely have loved it, Todd. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And that was episode four. Thank you so much to Ankarad for being a lovely, lovely guest. As always, be sure to keep an eye out on what Ankarad is doing in the future. She's got such a wonderful career ahead of her, so keep your eyes peeled. This has been a Dugan production. Thank you so much to Acast for hosting it. If you like the podcast, please leave us a little review or tell some friends. Any kind of publicity would be really greatly appreciated because I'm loving doing them. Um, I'd love to be able to reach it out to more people. So, yeah, that's everything. Thank you very much. And I shall see you next week.